Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start with the NBA Awards. Maybe you saw that last night. It took place last night. And there weren't a lot of surprises, starting with the MVP. Of course, James Harden took home the MVP award, and he was about the only person there who was surprised by the hardware. Because when he got on stage, he drops this speech that, well, frankly, it didn't really seem like he had rehearsed for. Wow. Uh, All glory to God, man. All glory to God. Um, Wow. Huge shout-out to the NBA. NBA and all the legends that paved the way for me to be able to play this game like I do um, and, and, and like I love. Um, huge shout-out to the Rockets, man. Uh, the whole city of H-Town, uh, Tillman, Yanyoni, uh, <laughs> uh, Tad, Daryl, Rafael, um, you know, all the coaching staff, the training staff, Jason Boss, Keith Jones, uh, Swerve. Um, I know I'm missing somebody. It's off the top, but... Um, this is everybody that helped, man, from the equipment guys to the, the, the ball boys, um, you know, everybody that, that helps um, to get me to where I want to go. Um, shout out to my family, my sister, my brother, uh, me, my nephews, uh, right, um, and moms. Uh, I'm not going to get I'm not gonna get emotional. I'm not going to get, I'm, I'm not doing all that. Uh, but she's my backbone. Uh, good times, bad times. Um. Yeah, Beard, I think I'll jump in there if you don't mind. Hey, listen, I see it working. If it felt like he was not reading that speech, it's because he was not reading that speech. And the reason he was not reading that speech was because he didn't write a speech. And then asked afterwards, when it was so obvious that he was going to win, why he did not have a speech prepared, he said, quote, and he went with this heat, quote, honestly... Because I didn't know. You know, I felt like last year I should have won as well, so I didn't see a difference between last year and this year. If I won it, then I was going to go off the top and try to, you know, show my appreciation to everybody helping me along the way, give respect, and pay my dues, end quote. So that's not exactly a, wow, you know, uh, it's just great to be nominated, but, quote, I didn't know I was going to win because I thought that I should have won last year and I didn't, so whatever. I got to tell you, I kind of dig it, actually. Just like I kind of dig that remarkable couch suit that he was wearing. What an amazing look that was. I mean, seriously. I would have been so disappointed if this guy rolled out there in just a simple black suit. Instead, he broke out with something that looked more like cow camouflage. And you know what? It worked. It worked. But it was not Harden's night. Even though he was the MVP, the night did not belong to him. Rudy Gobert rocking a serious hot pink suit, won Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Simmons won Rookie of the Year. But the night did not belong to either one of them either. No, the night belonged to Bill Russell, Mr. William Felton Russell, civil rights activist, NCAA champion, Olympic champion, 11-time NBA champion, captain. Captain of the Boston Celtics. Now, there is precedent for this. After all, at last year's NBA Awards, Russell was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award. It was presented to him by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaq O'Neal, Dikembe Mutombo, my dude Alonzo Mourning, and David Robinson. Before accepting the award, Russell pointed at each one of them and dropped this. I would kick your ass. (laughs) Such an amazing moment. Legendary moment. How many people on the planet can point at those five legends and say, quote, I would kick your ass and get away with it? I mean, forget get away with it. How many can do it and be right? So you knew last night he'd have something in store for everybody. And he got things started off with a tweet about Anthony Anderson's suit. Hashtag NBA Awards show just getting started. Our host Anthony Anderson is wearing shorts. It looks like he rode in on a chicken with those legs. End quote. It's good. It's solid. It's very solid. But not nearly as solid as when my man Charles Barkley took the stage and he thanked the captain. Mr. Bill Russell, thank you. 
And of course, Mr. Bill Russell responded by flipping Mr. Charles Barkley off. Yes, Bill Russell, legend of the game, 84, 84 years young, just hit Chuck with the bird. And I could not be prouder or happier. Then he chased that with a tweet. Quote, sorry, everyone. I forgot it was live TV, and I can't help myself whenever I see Charles. It is just pure instinct. Oh, and if that weren't enough, he hit the tweet with a hashtag Birdman at the end. And with one gesture and one tweet, the debate is now officially over. There is your GOAT. MJ was awesome. Kobe was awesome. LeBron is awesome. Bill Russell is your national treasure. I mean, you can complain all you want about the NBA awards not having any drama and that they should be done closer to the playoffs or in between the regular season and the playoffs when everybody is still debating the winners and still cares. But go ahead and save those complaints. Save those comments. Because as long as Bill Russell is in the building and he's clowning fools the whole award show is worth it. I would kick your ass. (laughs) He would too. And flip your ass off also. Bill Russell, 84, national treasure. Dave Yeager is my guest. Dave, it's great to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey, man, how's it going? Good, good, coach. All right, so I mentioned the team drafted Marvin Bagley the third in Thursday's draft. Let me start right there because during the draft evaluation process, you worked him out. You personally put him in some spots that were designed to make him feel uncomfortable so you could see how he would respond. What were those spots, and then what did you make of his response? I thought it was interesting. He, you know, he's a conscientious guy, and what I learned is that he, he wants to learn, and he wants to be good, and, and uh, made him do some things that I think were a little bit uncomfortable for him. Um, and he fought through. And you get a guy fatigued, it, it breaks down to his fundamentals of what his footwork is. And, you know, halfway through the workout, I, he was bent all over. And I said, you know, I don't really care if you make another shot or not. I'm trying to see what you got in your heart and, and what you got between your ears. And the light went on. He's like, oh, cool. And, and I really feel he wants to be good. And uh, guys like that that love the game and want to be good, they're going to work. Dave, the thing is, he doesn't want to be good. He wants to be great. And he doesn't want to be great. He wants to be the greatest ever. He said it, quote, I want to be the greatest player to ever play the game of basketball. And I mean that in the most humble way possible, end quote. I mean, it would be easy to take a quote like that and run with it like clickbait. But as a coach, what's your reaction when you hear it? Yeah, I mean, with a standalone, uh, it kind of comes off a little interesting. But being around him, it's incredibly humble. Uh, very just conscientious and wants to be good uh, with a pure heart. And uh, I love that about him. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with him for sure. Dave Yeager, my guest. Now, when you look at the game and how it's evolved over the past few years and how bigs have had to evolve, how do you see him fitting into this offense in the future? Well, I think one thing is, you know, he gets comparisons to to Chris Bosh a little bit. And I think, you know, which which Chris Bosh? And, you know, he didn't start knocking down threes at an incredible rate until he was at Miami at X number of years into his career. So, we want to just, you know, let him be uh, playing face up as much as possible on the perimeter, using his skills. I have no problem with him breaking out. Uh, he's a terrific rebounder, um, pushing the basketball up the floor. But uh, at the same time, you know, with as much switching as going on, uh, he should be able to take a guy his own size and certainly somebody smaller uh, down in the in the post area. He's, he gets off the floor incredibly well. He's got a great touch uh, where he gets off and gets his own rebounds and, and other guys as well, uh, very well. So uh, it's going to be fun and try not to do – too much with him too early and find himself and find himself in the league and and continue to help him grow Sacramento Kings head coach Dave Yeager my guest you know you had a real young team last season and you knew that so having worked with this group last year what are some of the challenges of the transition from college to the NBA that maybe the players themselves aren't even aware of until they get there yeah that's, that's a great question because you know we, we talked about it last week Guys come in, they don't know what they don't know, and they get 35, 40 games in, and that's a full college season, and it's, you know, first week of January, and they they know what they need to work on at that point. They know how hard it is. They know what a grind it is. And so at that point, it would be maybe best for them to start their summer. Uh, Oh, by the way, there's another 45 or 50 games coming up. And so mentally to to fight through that and physically uh, to take on that challenge, uh, and then they go and work on their game, and now, you know, we didn't make the playoffs, obviously. Uh, guys have been working on their game, and now they're they're ready to apply that and, and get back out and, and show what they've been working on. So, 
you know, summer league will be a, a good thing for uh, a lot of our young guys. Uh, and same thing, you know, summer gets long when you don't make the playoffs, but uh, before you know it, we'll, we'll be in September. Like I said yesterday, I cannot wait to try out the decanting kit with my Magic Blue this weekend. Bespoke Post delivers a monthly-themed box of awesome, full of goods to upgrade your style, apartment, and life. Style, grooming, cooking, drinking, or travel, Bespoke Post has new boxes every single month that you are guaranteed to be into. And there are no commitments. Bespoke Post lets you know which box they picked out for you on the first of each month, and you'll have five days to keep it, switch it, or skip it. To get started, just go to boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that will best go with your style. Whether you're in search of the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet-setting in style, Bespoke Post helps you get there, improving your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code ROME at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code ROME for 20% off your first box. Once again, Bespoke post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. I love it. You will, too. We're talking to Sacramento Kings head coach Dave Yeager. You know, Dave, one more thought about that pick. I mean, how much consideration did you and the organization give to Luka Doncic, and what ultimately led you to Bagley instead? Uh, good question. I mean, just, I guess, being around uh, uh, Marvin and, you know, his charisma. He's a quiet leader, uh, very dynamic, uh, be able to play a lot of uh, a lot of positions uh, as, the, as the game is changing, I think. Uh, is this a guy that you know I really fell in love with? I know Vladi feels the same way and uh, has done his homework and, and knows Doncic as well, who's going to have I think a very, very productive uh, NBA career. So I don't think you can uh, you can go wrong with either guy. I think both guys are going to have terrific careers, and uh, we're we're really excited about the guy we got. Now you recorded your 200th career NBA win earlier this season. It's a big number, and even bigger if we go back to the days when you were riding buses in Bismarck, Black Hills, Sioux Falls. Knowing that, what does that number mean to you? Uh, it does it make me smile. That's, that's nice of you. Uh, it, it just to just to, to have a little bit of longevity and to be in the league and and uh, have some uh, some success and the success we had in, in Memphis, uh, where you know Lionel Holmes built that thing up and and I got to learn as much as I did around him and then uh, take over after that and and then come out here and continue, uh, you know, in a rebuild situation. And we're looking forward to uh, you know when these young guys get a little bit older and. Uh, you just start rolling and you add a little piece here and there, and, and away you go. And you know how big it can be up here. So uh, we're excited about the future up here for sure. You know, Dave, as you get close to 200, you mentioned that you were thinking about some of the guys that you chased to get to the NBA. And these, these literally are some of my all-time favorite guys. Flip Saunders, George Carl, Phil Jackson, Eric Musselman, Rick Carlisle. You know, I'm curious, what did you learn from watching them and the way they approach their journeys? Uh. I- all I ever wanted to do was was carry the flag, uh, so to speak, in in the, in the minor leagues and and do what they did and and see if, gosh darn it, there's a way that I could take that flag, you know, just a little further and uh, all the success and all the wins that those guys had in the NBA after that. So uh, it's a it's a proud background to come from and and something that I take a, a great deal of pride in. Um, and I also appreciated that they would all those guys would let us be around, let me be around, let them be a fly on the wall in meetings or be at practice and watch the, the mindset of Flip Saunders, for example. Everything made sense. You didn't see it till the third step, and you saw the guys have that aha moment. I mean, he was an artist. It, it was awesome. And uh, to be able to you know, watch Rick coach when I was a young – Rick Carlisle coach when I was a younger coach and at Indiana and let me in and just be around and be nice to you and, and include you, uh, you know, those guys are all my heroes. And then on the eve of the draft, you hosted a Junior Kings basketball camp, and it seems to me there were a whole lot of things that you could be doing 24 hours before the draft. So why was it so important to host a camp? And then what was that experience like, and what did you want the campers to come away from that experience with? It was it was fun. It was fun. Um, yes, yeah, I'm saying that, you know, deals aren't eight at nine of draft day uh, or the day before, but, you know, we wanted to get out there and, and get some kids out there. We did like a proof camp for younger kids. So they got all their measurements, you know, their, their, uh, their wingspan, their reach, what their vertical was, height, weight, uh, 40 times and stuff like that. And so it just try to give them an experience of, Hey, what goes on behind the curtain that we don't ever see with some of these guys. And 
uh, it was it was fun and just a you know, really good vibe and a lot of energy and you know how passionate everybody is up here. It, it was really cool. No doubt. Dave, last thought, you know coaches are looking at the way they work and how they go about that and the need to try and balance work and time away from work. I'm wondering, are you going to find any time to get back to the farm and maybe rip some stuff out of the ground with your tractor? I was dying for you to ask, man. I'm so fired up to get my chainsaw going. You know, right. that's the best. <laughs> yeah, we're we're excited. You know, um, it's the off season, but yet it's already been long. You know, when you're done April 11th, it's already been long, and and so everybody takes two weeks, three weeks off, no matter what uh, you finished uh, in the playoffs or not, and then you get a little antsy to get going. But uh, yeah, to do stuff outside and, and just find myself and find some peace and uh, starting to come together now, and uh, you know how you can get. To, different guys shots and how different combinations are going to work with our roster and stuff. A lot of those moments happen, man, when you're, you're out there doing something different. The Tuesday version of the daily jungle podcast is brought to you by fan exchange. Here's a question I want you to think about how long has it been since you've been to a game? If you can't remember, then it is time to get to fan exchange. Tickets purchased on fan exchange are always guaranteed. There's no getting to the gate and then worrying about getting in. Fan exchange gets you closer to the action. Find the very best seats at the best prices at fanexchange.com. Use the promo code Rome. Again, promo code Rome and get 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan exchange. We have tickets. 24 days out. Just like that. 24 freaking days until SmackOff 24. And last week, we looked back at some of the legends. JT the Brick, Jim and Fall River, Terrence and Sierra Madre, Doc Mike, to name a few. But it doesn't mean that there's not room for new blood, because there is. In fact, that's what your golden ticket's for. So come and get yours, because right now is the time to take your shot. And if you think that's just talk for the sake of talk, then you don't know the event. As an example, last year's SmackOff featured not one, not two, not three, not four. Five first-timers, five rookies in a single event. Five golden ticket winners who made the air and took a swing for that belt. Now, some did better than others. Dan in Denver got run. Jeff Passan, though, hit the podium. And in between those two, you had Tyler in Edmonton, Matt in Van, Benny in Wisco. First one through on the phones last year from the Golden Ticket winners was Tyler in Edmonton. You never know exactly what you're going to get from a Golden Ticket recipient. And Tyler in Edmonton was the first guy through. In honor of all the NBA stars using the Players' Tribune, I've written you a letter of my own. Dear Cheeseball NBA players, as a lifetime hockey fan, I've grown up taking pucks to the face and fist fighting on skates to settle my scores. So when I was faced with the possibility of becoming an NBA fan, I had to think really hard about what to do. But today, I've come to a decision. I'm not becoming an NBA fan. I've decided that you spineless, nut-kicking, drama queen little bitches don't deserve any of my attention. Half of you drop dead if another guy even breathes on you. The other half, you guys are almost as pathetic as the love stains on Hugh Freeze's bedsheets. So keep acting tough in your shove matches. Keep having your sideline rape parties after a big dunk, and I'll keep watching real sports. Yours truly, Tyler in Edmonton. And if any of you giant babies have a problem with my opinion on your weak-ass tendencies, you can call me and tell me to my face, 780-221-6475. This guy literally gave out his digits, his math. Not enough if he's changed that math since then, but that was pretty brass. The call itself was not a bad first effort, not at all. Didn't crack the top 10, and that tells you how tough the field was last year. But as a rookie, it was a very good showing, and Tyler and Edmonton will be back for more on July 20th. And the way that field's setting up, I'd be hard-pressed to see this guy not getting into the top 10, or maybe better. Then there was his brother, Matt in Van. This guy had the impossible task of trying to follow up Left in Laguna's studio raid, but someone had to do it. Holy crap, America. I used to want to be American. Now you couldn't pay me to switch passports. The rest of the world is laughing you. If you fat asses would just eat the fruits and vegetables that Tom Brady won't eat, you'd still be ten times better off than the typical American diet of beer, Marlboro Reds, and despair. When you eat a salad, it's not supposed to be from McDonald's, you idiots. The worst and horniest offender of this American decline is Vic and No Cow. Vic's life since the distant smack-off title has been such a perverted, pathetic tragedy the only thing left is for Mark Wahlberg to make an unwatchable movie about it. Vic, you're the R. Kelly of the jungle. Drip, drip, drip. 
It's disgusting, Matt. You know, these guys, though, it makes me think that they both made good showings last year, first time in, and they've been hitting it hard for the past year, getting better, working their craft. Matt especially, because he's been hitting the archives, and he has been working his craft hard. I'm looking forward to seeing if he can take it to the next level and hit the board with a top tenor this year, or even better, he and Tyler both. Because that call that he dropped this past Friday was already better than a smack-off call. And a smack-off call was not bad. So Matt is trending in the right direction. Tyler is trending in the right direction. Then you've got Benny and Wisco. Benny and Wisco also was a first-timer last year. This is a dude who made a name on cheese references and his affinity for trying to sneak rat family smack back into the jungle. So the question was, and I'm going back to last year again. Trying to give you all a sense of what it's like as a first-timer. Could Benny and Wisco, on the big, sta- big stage, expand his game for the smack-off and evolve and reinvent? Thank you for the rodent ticket, allowing me to be part of this momentous occasion. The rind includes Friday, baby. Trap on your seatbelts, everybody. This is about to get radical. Romy, USC sophomore quarterback Sam Darnold recently told NFL teams not to tank their season for the sake of drafting him, further proving that millennials are born concussed. Thanks for the advice, Sam. That's like RSVPing to the smack-off to profess that you're shooting for second place or offering that you're three extra base hits short of the cycle to millions of listeners on an internationally syndicated level. Hi, Caleb and Green Bay. By the way, I loved your RSVP call, dude. I mean, way to spread your wings as a caller and show all of your diversity by portraying a basement-dwelling psychopath. Come on, dude. You representing Buffalo Bill is somehow more natural than John Goodman being the voice of Buffalo Wild Wings. Equal parts smack, equal parts rat. And the call even had a cameo from Lef later on. The entire thing was good enough for fifth. And now he's going into Smack Off 24, and there is some hype, and there's some expectation for Benny. He showed some range. Now he's got to follow that up with his sophomore Smack Off season. You know, the sophomore jinx. It's a real thing, a real thing in sports and a real thing in the Smack Off. Easier said than done, which brings me to Jeff Passan. Yes, that Jeff Passan, blue check verified Yahoo Sports, MLB insider, he of the 180 IQ, Jeff Passan. You know why I'm here, Jim? Because I'm a clone. Because I have takes that don't suck. Because I think tandem calls are lame cop-outs. Because when I think of jungle couples, I think of John and Trapper, not Brad and Corona and his meth dealer. Because when I hear the word war, I don't think of a location that comes before it. I think of what comes after it. Like war, Toby and Houston, the Carmen San Diego of cranks. A war smack off harmony. And definitely war teen the others reminding us all adolescence and puberty is hard. I don't know if I'm going to win the smack off clones, but if I do, Jim, I know one thing. The final score is going to be 27-27. I'm out. Part of a five-minute call that took the bronze last year. And more than that, it did establish my man, Jeff Passan, as a clone with a bank of references and knowledge that nobody knew he had. It also made him one of the most hated Dudes among other smack-off callers, which is always a good thing. If they hate, you know you're doing your job. He got everybody's attention, and that's the goal in the jungle. So if you're sitting there thinking there is no way for you to leave your mark on this event in 24 days, you're wrong. Five different rookies made it onto the air. Two of them posted top fivers. One of them finished behind Left and Mike. It can happen, but only if you pick up the phone and get qualified and rip that ticket. Now we're less than a month out. You're running out of time. Show me what you got. Five guys did it last year. It is the Jungle Smack Off. Hey, Jimmy, this call's about to go so old school by the end. You're going to swear your studio is haunted by the souls of Smackers past. Gimmick, past, you loser. Fat, puffy, yeah. human cattle. Think about that, Jim. That's got to be the stupidest thing anyone has ever said. My fellow competitors, Chael, Mike, Vic, Steve, Cam. Is there a Cam? I, I don't know. Smack Off 24 is July 20th. Where the best of the best go at it for the right to be king of smack. And if you win, you get five grand cash. Everybody in the goddamn jungle knows who I am and what I... This con man would waterboard his own mother if there was a buck to be made. 
You are entering a lion's den full of the biggest haters on the planet. Most of you I've chewed up like a dead hooker and a wood chipper. It's still called the smack off, not the heartwarming moment off. Invite only. You have to qualify. You at the party, man, Smack. And for the first time ever, we're going to put it on TV. Or the others. Five grand to the win. Nothing for second place. Calm down. That's enough. And I'm coming for all the legends. It doesn't matter. matter what you think. But these days, I'm also known as every host's dream. It's host's dream, you loser. You can call me and tell me to my face. 780. Sometimes I get goosebumps thinking about how great I am. Shut up! Tell me how my rash stays. I am here, Jim, to make the smack off great again. It's time for me to die. If I don't know what you and the Bud Light Brigade have in store, but you ain't winning the damn thing. Legends never die, Romy. Hey, what a bet, punk? Every day, that alarm goes off, and every single day, I feel great answering the bell because of Casper. It helps you get a great night of rest. You see, the Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams to give you a great night of sleep. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Its breathable design lets you sleep cool, and this is something I didn't know. It also regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And let me tell you, there are lots of people raving about the Casper mattress. More than 20,000 others love their Casper mattress, giving it an average rating of 4.8. You cannot argue with results like that. And here's yet another reason. The price will not keep you up at night. You can also order sheets, pillows, and that will give you the complete Casper experience. Why is it so affordable? Well, Casper cuts out the middleman and delivers it straight to you. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Right now, for my listeners, you can get 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash jungle. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Use the promo code jungle at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Promo code jungle. Tom Verducci. Tom, you're going to see Mike Trout, who is currently top two in the AL in home runs, runs, walks, slugging percentage, and OPS. I mean, I feel like you and I have this conversation every single year about how amazing this guy is, and then he gets better. So what exactly are we witnessing this season from Trout? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He is getting better, and I think this year it's easy to see defensively how much he's gotten better. I mean, it's possible he's going to win a gold glove. And not that it was a knock on him before, but early on wasn't a great throwing arm. Um, He certainly conquered that. So I think you're looking at a guy in his physical prime, right? 26 years old, traditionally as you get into your late 20s, that's the physical prime for a baseball player. And now he's got the wisdom of a 1,000 games in the big leagues. So the most amazing thing to me, Jim, he always came up, even as a 19-year-old, with an incredible uh, idea of what the strike zone was. You know, so much of the game now is getting hitters to chase that pitch slightly off the outside part of the plate. And ever since he was 19, Mike Trout was spitting on those pitches. And he's even better now, if you can believe it, leading the major leagues in, in walks. So you can't get him outside of the zone. And to get him out in the zone, good luck with that. Because, you know, he hits the high fastball now, which he didn't early in his career. Uh, you know, this is a guy who just loves baseball. I know it's corny to say that, but if you watch Mike before a game, he's signing autographs, he's playing with fans, uh, you watch him during a game, he's always having a good time, right? So you're talking about somebody who just loves his craft, has incredible physical skills. It's just all coming together now in a physical prime. I mean, I hope people, you know, you mentioned this, that you know, Mike's only been in the playoffs once, they got swept by Kansas City. I hope people realize what we got here. I mean, I know he hasn't had the national stage in the postseason too much, but, I mean, this is the Mickey Mantle of our generation. Tom Verducci joining us. It's so well said. You know, I wonder, Tom, has he reached that LeBron James, Michael Jordan level where he could be the MVP every single season that he plays, but people just get used to his greatness and they start to look elsewhere? I do. I think probably Barry Bonds was a victim of that a little bit when he was playing. He won seven, but you can make an argument he could have won a couple of more because people were like, well, let's give it to somebody else, uh, even if subliminally you start thinking that way. Listen, I, I know it's not the same as a quarterback in football or LeBron in basketball where one guy can really change the fortunes of a team. I mean, Mike's proven that by not you know, getting out of the first round. But I do think if you put Mike on just about any team, that team would at least be competitive. And, I mean, he is keeping the Angels' heads above water here by himself pretty much. 
so yeah, he is to me as much as a baseball player can impact a game or the standings. Mike Trout's doing that. All right. So bottom line, if he's doing all this, and as you point out, he's entering his physical prime. He's only 26, and we know the guy has gotten so much more experience. He's so wise. I mean, theoretically, how much better can he still get? Uh, great question. I mean, I, it's hard to say he's going to get better than this. I mean. He's running a little bit more this year on the bases. He was thrown out once, which is like, you know, stop the presses. Mike <laughs> Trout got thrown out feeling because right. I feel like he can take a bag like any time that he wants. We tend to overlook that. Um, I think there's more in the power department. As I said, though, the pitchers really don't give in to him much at all. And without great protection in the lineup, uh, you know, I'm afraid that, you know, that 50-plus homer season might not happen because he's going to be a 150-walk guy. I think if you put him in a, a deeper lineup, then, yeah, Mike Trout's a 50-plus home run guy. We're talking to Tom Verducci. All right, now, he's not the only one in the Angels-Red Sox series, Tom, who's putting up huge numbers. You've got J.D. Martinez. He leads the majors, hitting 325. Well, leads the majors in RBI, hitting 325, tied with Trout for the lead in home runs. And the thinking's always been that it does take time for guys to adjust to Boston, but he hasn't had that issue at all. What has impressed you the most about what he's done with the Red Sox so far? Well, what impressed me was the other day, Alex Cora, the manager, told me, this is J.D.'s team. Mm. I mean, think about wow. that. The guy basically just got there. I I think what Alex meant was that, you know, Mookie Betts, obviously, I mean, he's one of the best all-around players in the game. He's having an unbelievable season. But he, he's more of a quiet type of guy. And not that J.D. is the kind of guy that holds a clubhouse meeting. But what he is is he, he's like the biggest hitting wonk in baseball. <laughs> Right, I mean, he knows so much about hitting, just the mechanics of the swing, the way pitchers are trying to work different hitters. He loves to impart that knowledge. I'm talking about even during games on the other players on the team. So now his voice is rising in that clubhouse. I really thought the problem with the Red Sox last year, and they were good last year, but I thought they still hadn't gotten around to replacing David Ortiz. Not so much about the left-handed bat but about the dominant alpha male in the clubhouse. And not that J.D. is anything like Poppy's personality. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the center of the team, the fulcrum of the lineup, everything revolving around him. That is J.D. Martinez. I mean, again, not an outgoing personality, but uh, I think just the guy, people just dig the way he goes about the game and how hard he works. And that has an effect on, I've seen it. You know, a guy like Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez helped change his setup and swing. Uh, that's the kind of impact when you talk about a baseball player who can make those around him better. That's J.D. Martinez. Tom Verducci is my guest. All right, then over the weekend, you've got the Red Sox-Yankees, and we're almost at the midway point of the season, and they're separated by half a game. So, Tom, when you look at Boston and you look at New York, how do they stack up against each other in your mind? Yeah, it's interesting because these head-to-head games, listen, they're, they're always, you know, like a war with a war of the season. I think they're kind of even more important because you want to stay out of that wild card game, right? And one of these teams is going to win more than 100 games and have to put their season on the line in a win-or-go-home game. So head-to-head matchups are going to be huge. They always are, again, but especially this year. Um, so, you know, matching them up head-to-head, you know, obviously to me the Yankees have a deeper bullpen. Uh, the ball's almost never in play even. Forget about scoring runs when you face that Yankee bullpen. So I give the Yankees an edge there. Uh, Red Sox have the edge in the first, say, five, six innings of the game. But most of those games, I believe, tend to get decided by bullpen. So I, I'll give the Yankees a slight edge on Boston. All right, then. How do both Boston and New York then compare to the Astros? Yeah, again, I, I think the Astros are a team that can beat you with any one of four starting pitchers in the series. I don't think any one of those other teams can tell you that. Um, you know, I still think Houston has to figure out, you know, who's going to get the last six outs of the game, especially the last three. Is it one of the starters goes to the pen? Is Ken Giles come around? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Houston doesn't know the answer to that yet. Um, but you know, you got to say, for me, Houston is still the team to beat in the American League. I mean, not just because they were world champions last year, but, you know, they have the highest run differential in baseball. Uh, they just absolutely destroy the, sec- the bottom half of the league. And they've had the kind of power pitching to match up against any offense. That's the one Achilles with the Yankees' offense, as great as it is. They need to hit home runs to win games. And the Astros, just with those starting pitchers, just tend to rack up 12 strikeouts 
every time they play the Yankees. So you only have 15 balls in play when you, the Astros match up against New York. So, uh, yeah, all due respect to Houston. And I, listen, I love Boston. I love New York. But I'll, I'll give the Astros the edge still. I would, too. And speaking of that, i got to ask you about Justin Verlander because you sat down with him a little while back. We're talking about a guy who had surgery on his core before the 2014 season. Then he went on, went on to have an ERA that was just north of four and a half. He led the league in earned runs allowed. I mean, at that point, it would have been easy to think that that was the beginning of the end. But clearly, that's not the case. So what changed? Well, first of all, he goes to Houston, right? And then he's getting not just more run support, but I think he's been re-energized there. And I know this, leaving Detroit, which is a little bit behind the rest of the curve in terms of uh, what they have available to players in terms of analytics and even hardware. Just a quick example, Jim. When, when Verlander got to Houston, they have these super high-speed slow-motion cameras. And when you have a bullpen session, they'll film those. And Justin noticed the way his slider came off his fingers when you slow it down frame by frame. It wasn't quite coming out the way that he wanted, and he was able to readjust the way the ball came off of his fingers. I mean, literally, like the, the last little digits coming off the digit of the finger. They didn't have anything like that in Detroit. I mean, you watch Justin before a start in Houston now, and he's sitting at a big table with all kinds of spreadsheets poured out in front of him. They didn't have that in Detroit. Uh, and I think he's gotten that religion. I think he really enjoys diving into that kind of stuff now. So I think there are some tangible reasons why he's better. Start with what you said. He had that core surgery. It wasn't really right even for a year and a half after he came back. And that's a tough surgery for a pitcher to come back from. Um, so you combine the health with some of the things the Astros have available for him and the offense behind him. Uh, you can make a case he's throwing the ball as well now as he ever has. And that's a mouthful for a guy who's a Cy Young winner in his 20s. That's an amazing statement, actually. Tom, before you go, I've got to ask you also, you made the point the other day, and I quote, the Mets have made many dumb moves in recent years, but even entertaining the idea of trading Jacob deGrom and or Noah Syndergaard would plumb new depths to their foolishness, end quote. I mean, knowing that, and I don't see how you argue that point, why is there even a conversation about possibly moving either one or both of them? Um, well, I guess that's the world we live in now. Everybody wants to start trade rumors early. And, you know, Sandy Alderson basically said, listen, you want to give me your top 20 prospects for Jacob DeGrom, then we can talk. <clears throat> My point, Jim, about that is the minute you trade somebody like that, that's exactly what you're looking for. And as much, you know, there's a whole culture now in hyping prospects, right? Whenever there's a deal, you want to know, hey, is that a top 10 prospect of that team's organization? You know, go and look at Yohan Moncada, you know, in the Chris Sale deal. You know, go back and read what everybody wrote about him as a prospect. And I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm just saying prospects take time to develop, and there are no guarantees. And Moncada's a guy up to 500 plate appearances, doesn't even get on base 30% of the time. And people are doing backflips because he was a, the top-rated prospect in baseball. There are no guarantees, but Jacob Grom right now is a guarantee. And you know, the Mets are as good as anybody in baseball when he gets the ball. You know, you can't pitch every day for the Mets, but every fifth day, they can beat anybody. So, yeah, I think it's crazy to entertain the thought of even trading those two guys. It doesn't mean you don't listen, but uh, for all his fans who are enamored with somebody else's prospects, think you're going to get four studs for Jacob DeGrom you got to show me when that worked out for somebody because I can't find it. It's another busy week for Tom Verducci. He's on the call for the Angels-Red Sox tomorrow. It's on the MLB Network and then Red Sox-Yankees Saturday on Fox. Tom, much respect. Always good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Summer is here, and the get-togethers are about to ramp up, so make sure you're looking your best up top this season. Experience Control GX from Just for Men. The first shampoo with a brain. So what makes it so smart? It reduces gray the same way it grows in gradually. The more you shampoo with Control GX, the less gray you have. Just use it until you like what you see. Now, how smart is that? Smart enough to be voted Men's Hair Care Product of the Year gradually reduce gray with the first shampoo with a brain find control gx in the shave aisle that's control gx this email says hey Romy, the lakers should bring in names to recite the poem to paul george dan from south of sea town all right little uh walk down memory lane names is john names John Neems was a singer-songwriter either from Las Vegas or lived in Las Vegas. Neems, way back in the day, wrote a song 
called Michael's dad. About Michael Jordan's dad. I heard it. I hated it. I said so. Names went crazy. And, and understandably so, right? He was proud of his song. He went on and on about how the song had been sold in 200 countries or something. Imagine there was no internet. There was no cellular technology. This thing came in the mail to me. And I dropped it in. And I listened to it. I mean, this is a real song. This is the guy singing his guts out. How proud he must have been to be Michael's dad, watching his son get better and better year after year. You believe this? I mean, my man could not have been more proud of that song. And I couldn't be more anxious to get behind a microphone and tell him how much I thought it sucked. And this became kind of a beef. I'd say me against names, but really it was like the world against names. So we kind of worked it out over the period of several years and had a laugh about it. But what it did was it spawned an all-time jungle moment when I Afraid he came in during the smack-off. And this was long before there were parodies and things of that nature. I Afraid he composed what might have been the first ever parody and did so in the smack off, and he called it Whitey's son. Whitey, Whitey's dad, excuse me. Whitey's dad. Whitey predated Alvin, Brian Albers. And if you think Alvin's good, I mean, Whitey was essentially Alvin's mentor. Whitey trained Alvin to be the legend that Alvin is. So Whitey really was a legend. I Afraid he came in and dropped Whitey's dad as the tip of the hat to Neems. He's playing this himself. We've all been watching a guy on Romy's team perform like no albino ever has. And always behind him for the world to see a beaming Mr. Albers. Since it's smack off season, I want to say I Afraid He won in 2004 with this. How proud he must have been to be it's kind of hard to even say how amazing that was because that, that, that Neem song was so famous, and I Afraid He rolls in with this idea. Playing as Casio, composed that song, and dropped this in the smack off. Watching his son. He did this live, and we had no idea that it was coming. I mean, it slayed. It absolutely killed. Good night now, Los Angeles. I afraid he out of nowhere with that. And he ripped the crown in 04. You know, like, even Lef has to know, had to know, went to school on that. You've got to do something like that sometimes. Something really dramatic. And I afraid he did it. So when this guy writes, hey, Romy, the Lakers should just bring in Neems to recite that poem to Paul George. That's a deep, 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 deep pull. That is old school. I don't know where he's been. It's none of my business, but it's good to see him, and I'm glad he's back. I don't know if he's bidding for a golden ticket or he just wanted to touch base, but here he is. Little Rock, Arkansas. John in Little Rock. John, where you been? What's going on? How are you? What's up, Romy? It's all good. Uh Sorry, I ain't been in in a while. Just been like that in life. Sometimes you can call, sometimes you can't. Hey, Rome, I'm sorry you didn't get into the Hall of Fame, but you will. This is my Vic and Mike. Y'all can't smack missed you, John. Where you been, man? Yeah, you're right. Sometimes you can call, sometimes you can't. And then sometimes you shouldn't call. 
What song was that? Somebody help me out. I don't even know what song that was. Anyway, I still love the guy. I'll always love the guy. His rack rate has diminished significantly over the years. Man, when he's good, there's nobody better. And when he's bad, well, there's still people who are worse. But that was bad. What song was that? Somebody help me out. John, I, I have no idea what that was. Like, hey, I tried John. to give you the benefit of the doubt, and I let that thing go longer than I normally would because it's been so long since you showed up. But uh, I have no idea where you were going or what that song was. And, dude, your voice was cracking terribly, and you kept smashing your face into your phone. That's rust. You just got to knock a little bit of the rust off, John. You'll be back. 1-800-636-8686. Is it me, Hawk, or has John not called since we've been in the studio? I feel like it. All right. Romy, remind that hoser Tyler that the inventor of hoops, Dr. James Naismith, was a Canuck. I guess Tyler just hates sports that Canada sucks at, like hockey. Mike and Snowbird. He's getting over, Mike. Devin, where is Queen Jolene? How I miss thee. Jolene was part of the hack-off era. Man, the queen burned so bright. She burned so bright, and then she flamed out spectacularly. But for a moment in 2011, it was all about the queen, Queen Jolene. Jolene in Farmington. What's up, girlfriend? How you doing, Rome? Good, Jolene. How are you? I'm pretty good. I know everybody's been anticipating my call. Hell yes, they are. What do you got for them? Uh, all kinds of BS. Hey, join anytime you want to start's fine. Let it rip. What I got to say for Fabian is he's a German Shepherd rescue mix, and there's nothing more than sad, more sadder than one man hockey sacking by himself. Oh yeah, I guess there is. Ish. Hey, what up, Ish? I'm going down. I'm gonna take all y'all down like Meta World Peace, baby. You can't come back from me. Hey, hey, war child, please. Kiss the baby. Metta World Peace, baby. This call is the biggest thing since the Prince William and Kate Middleton's wedding, and the world's going to stop rotating when I sit in the room with Jim Rome and co-host the show. Hey, just for future reference, I like my coffee black. <laughs> oh, that's for you, Ish. Wait for it. Julian, are you still there? I'm out, Bo. Damn, I miss her. Damn, I miss her. That was Jolene. That was the the height of the hack-off era. The worst of the worst. The smack-off has long been for the best of the best. The hack-off was for the worst of the worst. But that was when Jolene ruled the world. That was actually back in 2012. Man, I miss her. But the problem with Jolene is that was when she was at the height of her powers. And it never got better, and we just kept chasing and chasing. I so badly wanted to be like that again, and it wasn't. And she called a few more times, and just kind of drifted off and disappeared, never to be heard from ever again. But, man, I miss her. I miss her. What an amazing call that was. Phil in Missouri tweets, that may have been John's worst call ever. Think about that for a minute. I love the guy. Love the guy, but that was a bad call. Bad song, bad call, nothing good about that. It's all right, John. Keep hammering, keep pounding. Case Colorado tweets, was that just an animal sacrifice by John in Little Rock? That at least would explain it. I don't know what that was. I just know it wasn't good. And I hate to say that. It hurts me to say that. I don't know what that was, but that was not good. Let me give you an example. Alvin, have you got something that historically reflects who that guy is? Your parodies come from under. Gorilla Balls, you better let them go. Hold him down the pipe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Staying up all 
all night, don't turn around. Uh-oh. Cause Trump is back in town. Uh-oh. And when Gino's hit the ground, uh-oh. You should have heard the cracking sound. Uh-oh. <laughs> keep going i'm so glad you did that alvin thank you very much for picking me up because when i played john or when i took that phone call from john i started to ask myself for the first time i started to question myself why do i keep doing that why am i going to this guy what does this guy have and then i remember when you hear john's greatest hits it's a fact when he's good he's great good night now how to show up with coca-cola energy you're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends don't do it Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.